0: liberation, of flourishing, is our story because of Jesus. And last week we began to look at the conversation between God and Moses that stretches from Exodus chapter 3 into Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to return there again uh, this week. And I'm going to read a little section from chapter 3, and then we'll go to Exodus chapter 4. So would you join me, Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Hear now the word of God. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring My people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought My people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And now to chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray. Father, as so often happens, we we come this morning um, to events and words uh, that seem strange to us, that seem distant from us in some ways, Odd and disconnected um, from our life this coming week. But Father, we come risking the faith that these are your words. That you have given these words to us, these stories to us. And that these words are powerful and they are true. And so would you help us? Would you help us to understand? Would you help us to humbly receive? the seed of Your Word, that it may produce fruit in our lives. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the privileges I have as a pastor is I get to meet new babies in the hospital. And I had the opportunity uh, this past week, many of you know Megan and Chris, who are part of our congregation, have a new baby, they're new parents, and I had the opportunity to go and visit them in the hospital and pray with them and hold little baby Adela. And, and as I did that, I couldn't help but remember what it was like for me to be a new parent. And I specifically remembered that moment in the hospital when they came to us and said, it's time for you to go home. Now some people, they're, they're confident, and they're like, yes, we want to get out of the hospital, we want to get home. Not me. <laughs> When they came and said, it's time to go home, I said, are you sure? (laughs) I mean, you seem to know what you're doing. Uh, You have uniforms. How about we stay here a little bit longer? It's one of those moments that, that raised a question that sits under the surface of much of my life. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? You know that question, right? Many of you sit here this morning with that question, do I have what it takes as a parent, as a spouse, as a student, as an employer, as an employee, as a friend, as a Christian? Do I have what it takes? Well, the conversation between God and Moses here in Exodus chapters 3 and 4 circles around that question. Remember that God is initiating the action that will lead to the liberation of his people, bringing them into the land that he had promised to them, flourishing them rather than leaving them under the suffering of slavery. God is initiating that action, and he brings Moses into the mission. And he says in verse 10 of chapter 3, Moses, I want to send you. I want to send you to Pharaoh to lead my people out of slavery. And Moses says, Who, me? Are you sure? Moses responds to this call with reluctance. And while Moses plays a very unique role in God's story, God extends to us a similar call. Through His Son Jesus, God extends to us the call into His kingdom. He invites us to live out His design for what life should be. He involves us in the mission of doing His will on the earth as His will is done in heaven. God gives us that call and we join Moses in his reluctance, don't we? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to live out God's design for my vocation for my relationships, for my money, for my sexuality? Do I have what it takes to share my faith, to live my faith, and to selflessly love and serve my neighbor as myself? Do I have what it takes to step into this exalted call that God gives to me? Well, with that question, I want us to come to this text. And I want to do two things. I want us to explore the question... And then I want us to hear God's answer. So first of all, let's explore the question. Notice that in chapters 3 and 4, Moses moves. He moves from here I am in chapter 3 verse 4 to send someone else in chapter 4 verse 13. Here I am to send someone else. And in between those two extremes, he asks basically four questions. He says, who am I? He says, who are you, God? He says, what about them, the people? They'll they'll reject me. They won't believe me. And then he circles back around to the first question and says, who am I? What about me? What what, what about my speech impediment? I can't do this. So from Moses' perspective, this conversation is progressive anxiety. (laughs) It is a growing sense of inadequacy a growing sense of insecurity, of the inability of himself to accomplish the mission. But what about God's perspective? What's God's perspective on this conversation? Notice what God doesn't do here. God doesn't respond to Moses' insecurities with, Moses, you're great. I barely even notice." Your speech problems. You're a gifted guy, Moses. You got this. You can do it. That is not what Moses that's not what God does. That's not what He says, right? How does God respond? When Moses brings up his speech impediment, how does God respond? Look at verse 11 again, verse 11 of chapter four. Then the Lord said to him, "Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God is saying, Moses, you're asking the wrong question. Moses, you are asking about your inadequacy when you should be asking about my adequacy. Moses, you are asking about the limits of your speaking abilities when you should be asking about the limitlessness of the One who made Your mouth. Moses, you're asking the wrong question. Let me give you another one. Is it not I, the Lord? That's what needs to happen when we ask, Do I have what it takes? We need to learn to ask a different question. We need to learn to ask. Not about our insufficiency, but about God's sufficiency. Not about our weakness, but about His power. Not exactly how we would handle it, though. Not exactly how we would want to respond to our insecurities. We would much rather live in the fantasy of the little engine that could. All right, you know the story, the little engine, impossible task that he accomplishes because he says, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. You know Shel Silverstein's response to that story in his poem, The Little Blue Engine? He tells the story about an engine who tries and fails, and then he finishes the poem this way. He says, if the track is tough and the hill is rough, thinking you can just ain't enough. (laughs) God will always bring you to the place where thinking you can just ain't enough. God will not let you retreat into your competencies, into your strengths. He will always call you to the place of weakness. There is this lie out there, and it sounds biblical, but it is a lie. And it says that God will never give you more than you can handle. Not true. Negative. No. God gives Moses more than he can handle. He will give you more than you can handle. Why? To teach you to ask about his strength rather than your weakness. To teach you to ask about his competencies rather than your competencies. But here's the problem with that. Moses wants nothing to do with it. He wants to run the other way. He wants to walk away from this call that exposes his weakness. And so do we. So do we. And if you don't want to run from God's call, then you haven't understood the call. So what do we do? We need to come to this text and consider not only the question, but we need to hear God's answer. We need to hear God's answer to this question. God doesn't do something else in in these chapters. Notice that God doesn't reject Moses. Moses, with all of his doubts, with all of his insecurities, with all of his inadequacies, God doesn't reject him even when Moses attempts to rebel and reject the call of God, God doesn't reject him. Isn't that beautiful? God patiently responds to Moses' struggles, to his weakness. He responds, and as He responds, He gives Moses three gifts. Three gifts. First of all, God gives him the gift of commitment. Commitment. He says, yeah, I hear you, Moses, but I will be with you. I will be with you. He connects Moses back to the promises that God had made to Abraham and Abraham's family. And he says to Moses, not only am I powerful, but I have chosen to use my power on your behalf, on behalf of my people. I will be with you. I not only made your mouth, but I will be with your mouth. God not only says that, but He acts it out. And He gives Moses a second gift, the gift of demonstration. Signs of God's power. And notice that these signs in in these chapters, these signs, they not only demonstrate God's power, but they also demonstrate His purpose. So, staff to snake to staff. Maybe you've noticed in old movies or in a museum that the leaders of Egypt would wear a headdress. And maybe you notice noticed on that headdress there's a very important symbol that sits at the forehead of Egypt's leaders. What is it? It's a snake, right? God is saying to Moses, I've got the snake. This snake that has oppressed my people, that has murdered my people, I've got it. Makes a similar point with the water turning into blood. Remember that ancient Egypt, uh, their prosperity, their dominance on the world scene, the source of that prosperity and dominance was the Nile River. And remember that Pharaoh had used the Nile River as a weapon to oppress and suppress God's people. And God says, you know what? Pharaoh's going to try to use it as a weapon, now it's my weapon. And I will use it to free my people from his oppression. And then what about the leprous hand? You know, leprosy in the Old Testament made a person unclean. Leprosy was this broad category of degenerative skin diseases. And it made a person unclean, which meant that they were unacceptable to gather with God's people at the temple. They were unacceptable to come into God's presence and worship with his people. So do you see what God is saying to Moses? He's saying, I'm not only dealing with the problem of Egypt, I am dealing with the problem of Israel. I will cleanse them. I will heal them. Why? Well, the very first sign all the way back in chapter 3, what is it? You will bring them to this mountain and they will worship me. God is doing all of this so that He can gather His people to Himself and renew in them the life that comes from God being in His presence. And so He will free them from slavery in Egypt. And He will also free them. He is also working to free them from the corruptive power of their sin so that He can bring them into His presence and so that they can know Him. But, the gifts of demonstration, the gift of commitment, those gifts weren't enough for Moses. Moses still sees these signs and hears God's message and he says, no thanks. Please, God, send someone else. And that makes God angry. In fact, verse 14 says that God's anger was kindled. God's anger burned. Remember the visuals of this scene. God is a fire, right? And God is a fire that potentially consumes And God's God's fiery presence is now burning with God's anger. But what happens? Is Moses consumed by the fire of God's wrath? No. God, even in His frustration with Moses, gives him a third gift. He doesn't consume him, he doesn't kill him, he gives him another gift, he gives him the gift of a brother. And the text makes sure that we know that Aaron, Moses' brother, is a Levite. Why? Because the Levites were the priests. And they were the people who helped the people of God live at peace with God. God. So God, even in His anger with Moses, is saying, I am providing a way for you to live at peace with me, and for you to carry out your mission, the mission that I am giving to you, even though you want to reject it. Moses pushes God and his mission away, but God embraces him. He patiently deals with his reluctance, with his doubts, with his fears And insecurities. And so, Moses' fears and insecurities, they don't go away. We'll see them come back in chapters 5 and 6 and throughout the story. Moses' insecurity doesn't go away, but he does go to Egypt. And he does lead God's people out. Why? Because God is with him. Even in his doubt even in his sinful fear that leads him to rebellion, God is with him. God provides for him and pursues him. Moses moves into the mission of God because the God of the mission moves towards him with grace and compassion and patience. My mom is a teacher, and she's pretty good at what she does, and I've seen her use a trick with students who are freaking out. And so a child who's melting down having all sorts of trouble, and my mom will look at that student in the face, and she'll begin to slowly walk towards them. And she'll begin to say in a very calm, steady voice again and again, look at me, look at me, look at me. And eventually she'll grab the child's eyes, and he'll lock in. And just calm down. That's what God is doing with Moses here. He is moving towards him and he's saying, Moses, look at me. Look at me. I know you're freaking out. Moses, look at me. Look at me. And God doesn't give up on that movement. Even when Moses tries to run the other way, God does not give up on His grace and compassion towards Him. He does not give up on His call to Him. He moves towards Him and says, look at me. And He does the same for us. He does the same thing for us, but not in a conversation at a burning bush. He does the same for us and more through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, the gifts that God gives to Moses here in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, they are only hints, they are only small hints of the gifts that He has given to us in His Son. Jesus, the ultimate expression of God's commitment to His promises, and through faith in Him, those promises belong to us. Jesus, the ultimate sign, not only of God's power, but of His purpose. Remember, in Jesus' ministry, He does all these miracles... We always need to remember that Jesus' miracles, they're not magic tricks. They are signs. They are Jesus saying, this is what I'm accomplishing. This is what I'm doing. So as He heals the lepers, Jesus is saying, I am overcoming the effects of the curse and I am restoring the life of God's blessing to this world. And ultimately, He does that. He demonstrates God's power and His purpose, not only through His miracles, but through His cross and resurrection. Jesus on the cross, dying because of the leprosy of our sin, so that we can come into the presence of God. Jesus rising from the dead and conquering another serpent. The serpent from the garden who led us into rebellion against God. Because of Jesus, we can know that God is with us and we can move into God's call, into His mission. Not because we can turn water into blood, but because Jesus, God's own Son, bled for us and has poured out His Spirit upon us. But what about when that's not enough? What about even with the sign and message of Jesus, the Gospel, the power of the Gospel... What about when we still struggle to trust? What about when we fail to believe? What about when we long to push God away, push God's purposes and design away from us? What about then? Well, God gives to us His Son, who is for us a brother and a priest. And the book of Hebrews tells us that He is a priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses because He was tempted in every way like we are tempted. God through Jesus pursues us, provides for us even in our doubt, even in our sinful anxiety, even in our desire to reject His call. God provides for us. He is with us because of Jesus. He walks towards us and He says, Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And He does not give up on that movement. He will not give up. On that movement towards you. Even though you long to push him away, he will not give up on the movement to embrace you for himself and for his purposes. Do I have what it takes? Not even close. Do you have what it takes to live out God's design, to live out His mission, to share your faith, to live your faith, to love your neighbor as yourself? Do you have what it takes to live out what God wants for your vocation and your relationships, your money, your sexuality? No. You don't have what it takes. But He does. He does, and He has given you all that you need in His Son. Jesus Christ so with your reluctance with your insecurity with your sense of inadequacy will you turn to him and in faith look to him who is the sign of God's power and purpose let's pray